making an impact for the glory of Christ, next on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. As Christians, we're called to make an impact in this world of ours for the glory of Christ. Welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Our time today will take us to John chapters 3 and 4 for the most part. We'll even spend a little time in the book of Acts, seeing who all it is we are to be sharing the gospel with and why. Making an impact on our world is the title of our series, Examples of Biblical Evangelism. Here's Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City with today's broadcast. I want you to turn over to the Gospel of John this morning. John, in the Gospel of John, I, I put in your outline there different examples of evangelism. And in chapter 3, we see clearly that Jesus, and this is, these are common verses to many of us, so, you know, this isn't something revelatory or anything like that, but it is God's Word. And so, he, he shares with the religious, and I just want to kind of read this story and, and so that we can hear from the Word of God how uh, Jesus did this. Because if one thing we have in our society today, is there's a lot of religious people. They're lacking a relationship with Christ, but they are religious. So I just want to read this and you can follow along. John chapter 3 says, There was a man of the Pharisees, a religious man, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So at this point, Nicodemus is pretty impressed, and he realizes that there's something special about Jesus. Jesus answered him and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus replied to him, said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Kind of a silly question, but a good question. And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the Spirit, of, of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? He's puzzled about this. And Jesus said to him, Are you not a teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Verse 13, No one has ascended into heaven but he who has come down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now here comes that verse that we've seen in all the ball games and everything, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and the man loved darkness, men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. It's interesting to me that he shares with a very religious man here the basics of the gospel. And sometimes we need to revisit the basics of the gospel with those who are religious. We can't just assume because somebody's religious that they understand the, the basics of the gospel because today the gospel is all mixed up. People call the gospel all sorts of things. And it's not the authentic gospel. He, he references truth in, in there. And uh, he says you have to practice the truth. Um, the gospel is, is basically the message that has been entrusted to the church. It's the only message that has been entrusted to the church. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of how you can have your relationship restored with a holy God because we're a sinful people. And it's interesting that he's sharing it here with a religious person, someone who's probably pride. He was humble enough to come and ask some questions. But it was interesting to me that he, he didn't, you know, hold back. Jesus was very direct when he shared with the religious. If you turn over a couple pages, John 1, you see the woman at the well. I'm not going to read all that. But you see the woman at the well. You see Christ witnessing to his disciples. He's witnessing the Samaritans. And ultimately, he's received by the Galileans. And he's really reaching out to those who are spiritually empty. The woman at the well had nothing within herself. And Jesus basically talked to her about living water, water that would um, fill her and, and give her contentment. So we see not only sharing from a religious perspective the gospel to religious people, but also to those who are spiritually empty. And then over in Acts chapter 2, and you can read these on your own, 14 to 40, you see the sharing with masses of people. Not just one-on-one, -on -one, but several people. Thousands of people. And then in chapter 8, we're going to look at that a little later, you share with the rich and the successful, and also in Acts chapter 17, with the, the sinful culture that we live in. And, and I just want us to remember that we live in a, in a world, beloved, that is lost. They're lost. They don't have hope. There's no hope for them. And here we are, you know, with the answer to the problem that haunts them, that being sin and the judgment that's awaiting them by God because He's holy and God has to judge sin. And yet we have the answer and sometimes I forget, I think we forget that. It would be like someone who discovered the answer for the, uh, the cure for cancer or the cure for whatever, whatever other deadly disease that's in our society. And yet they keep it at home in their medicine cabinet and they don't tell anybody about it. That wouldn't be right. We wouldn't feel good about that kind of a person. Well, you know, we have the answer that, that can solve people's problem with sin. And that's the gospel of Christ. It's the good news that Jesus saves. It's the good news that he saves us in spite of ourselves. Uh, he saves us as a result of his grace. And today I want to look at an individual by the name of Philip. And we first find Philip back in John chapter 1. And I kind of want to take you a little bit through John here and, and share a little bit about Philip with you. In John chapter 1 verse 43, it says there, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip. So he, he found Philip. And here's what he said to Philip. Two words, follow me. Pretty simple. It says, now Philip was from 
Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And look at what Philip does in verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, that being Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? In other words, Nazareth, in other words, what are you talking about? Who is this guy? And I like what Philip says next. He doesn't try to debate. He doesn't try to argue. What's he say? Three words. Come and see. Come and see. Hey, don't take my word for it. Come and see. And that's kind of how he, he started. Philip probably didn't know a whole lot at this point. He just said, you know what? You just got to come and see. And sometimes I think that we forget that sometimes we, we, we don't share our faith as much as we're called to in God's Word because we feel that we're not ready or we don't know enough or, you know, whoever, we don't know any non-believers, we think, or whatever. We come up with all these different reasons. And here's somebody, Philip, he started off and all he said was, hey, just come and see. you got to come and see this guy. Very simple. Very simple message. He didn't argue with them. He didn't have a big apologetic, you know, about, you know, who Jesus was, whatever. He just said, come and see. You know, and that's kind of key to sharing our faith. If we're not willing to invite people to come and see, I mean, even to an event like a Harvest Crusade or even to, you know, a church setting, you know, don't take my word for it, come and see, come and experience it because it's real. And people are looking for something real today. Our, our, our society is lost and dying and they're on their way to hell in a handbasket quickly. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, we're seeing them go by and we're just like, well, okay, you know, they don't want to believe, that's fine, let them go. But Philip, started off and he didn't know a whole lot but he just said you know what you just got to come and see you got to come and see what happens here turn over a couple pages to John chapter 6 because we run into Philip again in John chapter 6 now Philip's probably not the most dynamic guy I mean you know as far as the disciples are concerned pretty down-to-earth kind of a person logical in his thinking and here we see the the event of Jesus feeding the 5,000 just follow along as I read in verse 1 of chapter 6, John. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed, on those who were diseased. Well, what signs? Well, he healed, restored health to people's bodies. It was incredible miracles that were taking place. Verse 3, And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover... A feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw this great multitude coming toward him. And look at who he turns to. <laughs> he turns to Philip. Probably figures, you know, okay, this guy told him to follow me and he did. So I'll just, you know, due to his faithfulness, I'll address him again here. He says to Philip in verse 5, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, Philip is kind of a logical guy. And I think that the Lord knows that. And Philip's eyes probably got this big and probably looked out and thought, what is he talking about? How are we going to buy bread for these people? Thousands of people. But he tells us what his intent was in verse 6. He said, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. In other words, Jesus wasn't at a point saying, oh man, all these people showed up. What do we do? I'm at a loss. Hey guys, let's get together. And, Philip, what do you think we should do? Let's go around the room and figure out. You know, No, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. See, and, and that's kind of a picture of our life sometimes. Sometimes, you know, we're living our life and everything's going fine and all of a sudden something, you know, just big dark cloud or something kind of just plops itself right down in our path. And we pause and we stop 
And the first thing we do is we, 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 we try to move it. We try to, you know, frustratingly deal with it. God is saying, you don't understand. I put that big cloud. I put that big nest right in your path. And I put it there for a reason. Sometimes we don't think of it that way. We think of it, well, we've got to move it. We've got to get it out of our way so that I can continue down the path. And sometimes God in his providence and his sovereignty is simply saying, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to allow something in your life and you have to trust me you have to trust the goodness of my character and my attributes that I'm allowing that for a purpose and if you're willing to trust me I'll give you the power and the wisdom and the emotional strength and the spiritual strength to deal with this this big lump in front of you and you will be able to move on but it's going to happen in my timing not yours it's going to happen in my way not yours and sometimes we're like Philip and we get logical about things and we just think, well, we just want the thing to be fixed because it's an uncomfortable place to be in. And God sometimes puts us, I really believe this, in uncomfortable situations so that we can learn. And we usually don't learn it the first time, do we? You know, we try to move this thing out and we're kicking it and trying to shove it with our own strength. And, and finally we're exhausted and we're laying on the ground and we look up and we're like, God help. And that's where he wants us. He wants us right there at that point. He doesn't want us to depend on ourselves. He wants us to depend on him. So he turns to Philip and he asks him this question, you know, where are we going to get food for all these people? And can you imagine you're up on a hill and you look down and all these people are coming toward you and they must have looked hungry because why would Jesus bring this up, right? So if you've ever been around hungry people, if you've ever worked in a fast food joint or something like that, uh, you know, where, you know, people are impatient. When people are hungry, what happens? They grow impatient. Do you ever go out for dinner after, you know, lunch after a church and you, you go into the place and boy, you get seated right away and you're just thinking, hey, this is going to be great. You know, we're going to get our food. You know, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten since breakfast or last night or whatever. And you're sitting there and they, the, the, the stewardess, or the stewardess, I just got off a plane yesterday. The, the waitress comes and, uh, you know, she asks you, you know, well, you know, would you like anything to drink? And you're thinking, you know, I don't want anything. I want something to eat. You know, let's just cut out this jazz and let's just get right to the point. But, you know, she's got to go through this. So, well, okay, you know, Coke, whatever, iced tea. You know, and then you try to slip something. Well, I'll be right back. And she leaves. And you're, and you're ready to order and you're hungry. And you're beginning to grow impatient. And finally she goes back with the water. And, and then, you know, she goes through the appetizer thing. And, and you know what you want. And it's just, you, you get irritated because you're hungry. Well, you think about all these people approaching them. And apparently, you know, they were hungry. Because Jesus brought up the idea of feeding them. And so Philip says to him in response to Jesus' question, where are we going to get the food? Look at what he says. Very practical. He says, Philip said in verse 7, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. Now you stop and you think of that answer. That's kind of a, a common sense answer. But one denarii was basically a day's pay for the common laborer of the day. And 200 denarii would be, you know, or eight months wages, kind of figured out. So this crowd, all right, was, you know, so large, it was a sniffing amount that it was still inadequate to feed them. And so Philip's probably, you know, counting this stuff, like, we don't have enough. You know, we just don't have enough. It's not going to work, Lord. What do we do? But he doesn't, you know, kind of overreact. He just says, well, here's what we got, but it's not sufficient. Don't you love people like that? You know, he doesn't really give an answer. He just says, here's what we got. It's not going to work. But he doesn't offer anything, you know, other than that. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad there with five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? I mean, do you see the dynamic here? Here's Philip coming with all this money. I mean, you know, eight months of, of, of wages is a pretty good sum, but it's still not sufficient. And yet, Andrew says, well, you know, there's a kid over there with, with uh, five barley loaves and a couple fish. 
I mean, they're trying to pool the resources is what they're doing. They're figuring, okay, let's see, we got 200, now we got five barley loaves and two fish. And they're still probably looking at it, hey, this isn't going to work. Verse 10, then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Notice it, make the people sit down. They were hungry. Sometimes hungry people don't want to do with the rest. There was much grass there in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. That's just the men. So there's probably more people than that, obviously, with women and children. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples, uh, and to the disciples, to those sitting down. And likewise, the fish, as much as they wanted. I mean, can you imagine being there? Thinking, okay, let's see, Philip still got the 200 denarii. You know, this, we, got, we got five loaves and two fish, and we keep on, it, it keeps on feeding these people. How is this working? It says there in verse 12 that when they were filled, he said to his disciples, by the way, you might want to gather up the fragments that remain there so as nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, what? This is truly a prophet, the prophet who has come into the world. So here's, you know, logical Philip. He comes with these, these 200 denarii, and, you know, he's just kind of watching this whole thing take place. Sometimes God puts us in a, in a situation so that we could see some incredible miracle, some incredible blessing in our lives. But if we were never willing and patient to sit in that place, we would have never got the blessing. I mean, the disciples would have distributed and said, you know what, we're going to go to town and get some bread. And they would have just left Jesus there. He probably would have still fulfilled his, he probably would have still fed the people. They wouldn't have been there to see it. <laughs> so they would have missed it. I mean, I don't know, that's speculation. But they were willing to kind of just wait on the Lord and, and God turned this whole thing around. We'll jump over to chapter 12. We run into Philip again in John chapter 12, verse 21. He's talking about the triumphal entry here and everything Everything coming in, a bunch of people there. Lazarus had just been uh, raised from the dead. And they probably, because of that great miracle, all these people were coming to see the Lord. Um, it says in verse 18, For this reason the people also met him, because they had heard that he had done this sign, raised Lazarus. And the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see uh, that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. In other words, they were trying to discourage people from following him. They didn't want all their followers to follow Jesus. And so they were kind of upset about this whole deal. In verse 20 it says, Now well, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast, and they came to Philip. <laughs> Once again, people approached Philip who was from the state of Galilee, and they said to him, uh, excuse me, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Have you ever had anybody come up to you <laughs> and say, you know, I, I would like a, a relationship with the living God. Could you help me? <laughs> you know, I, I, I want to see Jesus active in my life. I, I've never had that experience. I've never had somebody, just a stranger, come up to me out of the blue and say, uh, excuse me, we want to see Jesus. We want, to, we want to have an experience with Jesus. That's never happened to me. But I'm wondering, what would I say if they did? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be exciting? Somebody comes up to you just out of the blue and says, you know, I want to know how you can have a relationship with the Lord. Well, look at what Philip does. He said, you know, hey, we want to see Jesus. We want to see this fellow Jesus. And they were kind of the same culture, so they went to Philip. Verse 22, Philip came and he told Andrew. It's almost like Philip, well, I don't know what to do. So he went and he told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. So he probably turned to, to, to Andrew and said, these, these people want to see Jesus, you know, kind of what, what's going on, what do we do? And Andrew and him put his head, well, let's, let's go tell Jesus. We'll go tell him that they want to see him. Now, it's interesting there how Philip interacts 
He doesn't just go to Jesus himself. He, he kind of gets some support from Andrew. Andrew helped them out before with some things. And so we see once again this incident with Philip. And I know that you're kind of going, why are you doing this? Well, there's going to be a method to my madness here. Turn over to chapter 14. Chapter 14. And you remember Christ is comforting his disciples here. He's, he starts off these wonderful verses that we've read so many times. Um, John 14, 1. Uh, Let not your hearts be troubled. But believe in God and also believe in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. Um, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. <laughs> I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not a very politically correct statement to make, but that's the truth. See, there's not many roads that lead to heaven. Some people want to believe that. Some people want to believe that you know, the, the way is broad and that many ways are the ways that lead to heaven. The Bible says just the opposite. The Bible says that the, the way to heaven is a very narrow way. It's restrictive and few are those that find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction. Now you stop and you think about it. Common sense. If you were on a road, and you knew that at the end of the road, there was a cliff, and if you continued down that cliff, you were going to die, would you do it? Probably not. Logically, you just wouldn't do it. Why would you do that? That'd be silly. Unless you're just having a really bad day, and you just want to take yourself out or something like that. I don't know, but normal, normal day, you know, just a happy day, you're driving down the road, and you know that at the end of the, the, the road, there's a cliff, and you're going to die if you continue down that, that path. Well, what if there's cars all around you and they're all heading toward the cliff? Does that change anything? It doesn't really change anything. It may make you second guess what your decision may be. It's kind of like if you were in an airplane and all of a sudden the, the, the stewardess opened up the door and said, okay, everybody jump. I don't know about you, but I'm not jumping. I don't have a parachute on. There's no way I'm going out that door. They're going to have to throw me out the door. And I still wouldn't jump if people just started jumping. I wouldn't do it. I'd take my chances in the plane. That'd be, it'd be suicide. But see, what's happening is that there's hordes of people on the broad way to destruction, on to, to hell. That's the ultimate destination. And they're going down this path and they're, they're counting on their religiosity. They're counting on their, their own false spirituality. They're counting on their, their riches or their success or whatever they, they're counting on. But it's not, it's not Christ because they're on the wrong path. They're on this broad path that leads to destruction. See, and here we are over here on the the narrow path if we know Jesus because he's the only way to get there and it's it's single file and by that I mean you know what when Jesus died on the cross he died on the cross if you're here this morning and you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and you've trusted in him for your salvation he died for you by name well, we're out of time that'll close out our time together today here on graceful truth with pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for praise and worship, service time, 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up through grade 5. And if you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Here's our phone number, 
9923. That's 650 366 9923. You can also find more information about us and who we are on our website, which is gracefultruth.org. That's www.gracefultruth.org. In fact, if you're planning on joining us for worship, we'll have directions and details again at our website, gracefultruth.org. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. Again, that's 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. The zip code 94061. Also, we have a discernment seminar coming up with Justin Peters. That's Friday, March 22nd, 7 p.m., and then all day Saturday, March 23rd, 9 and 11, with Sunday morning services at 10 a.m. held by Justin Peters. Again, this is a marvelous seminar on discernment, a call for discernment, a biblical critique of the Word of Faith movement. Are Christians really little gods? Did Jesus die spiritually and pay for our sins in hell? And Should we all speak in tongues? What about being slain in the Spirit? What are the signs of a false prophet? Is it always God's will to be physically healed? Is healing in the atonement? And if I'm not healed, is it my fault? These questions are asked constantly in our society, and they're presented to us in such a way as to say that if we don't answer them right, we're not godly, we're not even Christians. Justin Peters Ministries will be dealing with all this again here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, Friday, March 22nd, Saturday, March 23rd, and Sunday, March 24th. The seminar is free. There will be a love offering taken. And for more information, simply visit our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, call. That phone number again is 650-366-9923. Thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. God bless.